All righty. So we are studying today Moses. And uh, I think we've all probably seen the, the movies, the Ten Commandments, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I thought the original one with Charlton Heston, is that who it was, Charlton Heston? Um, I thought he did a really good job of that, you know. But that was before Hollywood became very uh, uh, creative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that was the one with Russell Crowe, that was the story of Noah, and that was, that was just pitiful. And so um, I did see the, the, the movies, the Bible, and they did a pretty good job there of, of Moses. And so, you know, I don't like any movie that makes God out to be something that he is not, you know, and God is a very loving God. He's firm, but he's also a very loving God, and so... Um, I love actually studying the story of Moses straight out of the Bible. So before we get started, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so excited to see what you're going to show us today. And so I ask that as we go through this story that you will just speak through me, Lord. Empty out anything that isn't of you. So I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to break this up into three parts. First, we have the Passover and the, uh, the Egyptians letting the, the Israelites go. Thank you, whoever did that. That was nice. Oh, I can see. <laughs> and then, uh, then we're going to find out about how God provides for the Israelites in the wilderness. And then we're going to talk a little bit about God's glory on the mountain. But first, we're going to talk about the uh, Passover. And um, I'm going to read the story in Exodus starting in chapter 11, and uh, this is the New Living Translation, which I just love. When I'm trying to read a story, to me, it's the easiest one. So then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, at midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has ever heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites... It will be so peaceful, not even a dog will bark. Now, having uh, dogs that bark at every little thing, (laughs) you know, lately I've been having tons of raccoons visiting, and I tell you what, labs and raccoons do not mix. And so I'm going, wow, a dog won't bark? Are you kidding me? But it'll be deathly quiet. And going back to our original um, movie with Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, I remember that scene where all the, the Israelites are kind of huddled in these rooms, and it's really quiet, and they're eating uh, the, the, the Passover meal that the Lord has specified that they do. And they had put the blood on the door, and then you see this real creepy black fog going through the town, and you would hear the cries of the moms whose children have been have been killed by the angel of death, and it just, wow, you know, it's really scary, and I kind of imagine that must have been a lot what it was like. But the Passover is something that even today the Israelites 
celebrate. It's like 3,300 years later. They're still celebrating it. And God commands that they do. And it's on the 14th day, the day of Nisan. And that's not the car. I'm probably saying it wrong. Um, but it's a, the Jewish calendar. And they celebrate it usually for a whole week. And it's like a holiday, um, very much like we celebrate our Easter. You know, of course, they don't have the Easter eggs or the Easter bunny or anything like that. Uh, Jesus celebrated the Last Supper. That was on the Passover day. And so, and then he was crucified on the second day of Passover. So, you know, there's some significance there. But anyway, what was it? Um, God had told the Jews to, to, to slice the throat, and it gets kind of gruesome, of a spotless lamb. It had to be perfect. It couldn't even have, you know how a lot of sheep will have like a little spot of black or, some, or a little spot of brown, or they would be... Um, uh, marred in some way and you know Jews are very shrewd and God knows that if he says I want you to sacrifice he just says I want you to sacrifice a lamb well what are they going to do they're going to go through the herd they're going to pick the ugliest crippled lamb they can find say oh this one was born you know crippled with a crippled leg so let's sacrifice that one okay I don't need that one but no he says I want you to take a perfect pure white lamb and I want you to slice its throat I want you to take the blood and with a bush Put it on the sides of the door and up above. And um, what that is, if you look at a door, then that would be what? A cross. So there's blood where Jesus' wrist will be. And then there's blood where the crown of thorns was laid on his head. So anyway, Pharaoh lost his firstborn. And in his grief, he says, Moses, I want you out of here. I don't want to see your face in this palace again. Just go away. I hate you guys, just I'm done. You know, I finally relent. You can, you can let your people go. And so we do see Jesus in this story, you know, with the perfect lamb being slaughtered, don't we? Jesus was our perfect lamb. And so, um, and then spreading all that blood and everything, that was just a protection from the angel of death. And that's what we're protected from, aren't we? Because Jesus died, we are now protected from that angel of death. Death has no effect over us now. I mean, yes, we will die, but not. it's just this body that will die. Our soul, our spirit won't die. And that's because Jesus took that, um, that sacrifice for us. So then we have the next part of the story. To me, is one of the funnest, most amazing stories. And that's God's provision in the wilderness. And the first part of this story, we see all the Israelites. They're now traveling through the desert. And, you know, they're going, yay, 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 we're, you know, we're free, we're free, you know. And they're all traveling. And then suddenly they see a dust cloud behind them. And what is it? The Egyptians have changed their minds. It's like, are you kidding me? Wasn't it enough that you've lost all your kids? Well, I think... What happened is once the grief kind of, you know how once when we hear something, we're so overwhelmed that we can't think straight and we just, you know, just go away, you know. But now they're having second thoughts. Oh, well, who's going to bring me my cup of tea? Where's my, where's my slave? Where's my Jewish slave? Well, they had released them all and gave them all their, their silver and their gold and that kind of thing. So they're upset. And they want to chase these guys back down and haul them back to Egypt. And so the, the, the Israelites are getting scared. They show up at the Red Sea and they can't cross it. 
So, you know, <laughs> she knows what I'm going to do. My, my favorite, ah, all is lost. You know, they throw up their hands and they're going, we're going to die. The Egyptians are going to kill us and haul, or haul us back to Egypt and we're going to be slaves. They're going to be mean, you know. What did you do? Bring us out here to all die. And so poor Moses says, okay, you know, Lord, what do we do now? And God says, oh, that's easy. Just walk across. I'm going to part the sea and you can walk across on dry land. Now, I heard this really funny story about a new believer who was reading his Bible, and he'd come to this story, and he was going, wow, look, what a miracle. You know, he was in an airport, and he was um, reading this, going, wow, this is so cool, you know, and he bumps the guy next to him. Did you know that God was able to part the Red Sea, and the Israelites were able to walk through on dry land, and, you know, the guy sitting next to him says, do you really believe that? says, everybody knows that it was just low tide and there was six inches of water and they were able to just walk through in six inches of water. And, you know, the guy goes, oh, yeah, that's true. So anyway, he starts reading and he's going, oh, wow, look. And the guy's going, you know, what now? And he says, look, the Egyptians drowned in six inches of water. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. But... <laughs> So, you know, but that's what a lot of people say. You know, they try to come up with a logical reason as to why this couldn't be true. So, anyway, they go across the sea on dry land. And they are so excited. They're praising God. And there's a wonderful verse in, you know, in Exodus where it says what the children of Israel were singing and praising God. and Wow, God delivered us. We walked across the sea. I mean, that had to have been an amazing thing. I mean, if Hollywood's able to depict it correctly, which I'm kind of assuming they did, you know, there was walls of water on both sides. And they were able to walk through. Of course, that would be really scary. But, um, you know, you'd kind of be going, gee, I hope they don't come crashing down now as you're walking through. But, you know, they saw this miracle. And so now they're all happy and they're traveling. So they continue and, and we're going to pick up in Exodus 15:22, And it says, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. And they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? You know, all is lost. (laughs) Then they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it in the water. And this made the water good to drink. It was there at Mara that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obey his commands, and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And after leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there besides the water. So they were, again, grumbling. It's like they just watched God do this wonderful miracle, and now they're saying, have you brought us out here to die? 
you know, it's kind of like, what? Didn't I just part the Red Sea? Don't you think I can come up with water here? And so, again, they're grumbling. But isn't that just like us? You know, one minute God's going to do a miracle in our lives, and then the next minute we're going, oh, it just can't happen. You know, all is lost. You know, and we're so like the Israelites. I see myself in this story so much going through here. And so they continued on their travels, and then they're running out of food. All is lost, you know, again. Um, we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. Because by this time, all the food that they had gathered from Egypt is now running out. You know, it would be, I mean, think about what would you do if you planned a camping trip and you've been camping for a week and you decide to say for, you know, say three weeks. Well, you can't do that because you don't have the food. You're going to have to go find food. And so listen to what Exodus 16.3 says. If only the Lord had killed us in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Isn't that funny how our minds will tell us how great something was that really wasn't? Remember the story of what the the poor Israelites were doing? If they weren't slaves in a household, they were building all these, they were having to, to pull those huge stones you know, and again, going back to my movie, you know, they showed a, uh, a slave, and I guess this actually happened. If the slave got caught underneath one of these large stones, they wouldn't help him. They figured it's just another, you know, another grease spot for the stuff to slide on, you know. I know that sounded pretty gruesome, but that's really, that's how they looked at it. Because they would have somebody who would actually have to put this grease down on the ground in order to slide these huge stones. And when I was in Israel, I saw some of these huge stones that they had built for the Jerusalem wall. And they're like the width of the sanctuary, some of them, and 12 feet tall. We're talking big stones. How did they move them? Interesting. They would use little tiny lead beads. It's just amazing what they would do. So remember the Egyptians, they built the pyramids. So, you know, they had to be pretty good at what they're doing. But anyway, if somebody got caught underneath one of these stones, they didn't stop. They, they had to keep their momentum going. And so this was a horrible, frightening life that these people lived. But all they could remember is all of the meat and the bread that we had and the onions and the leeks and all these yummy things. And now they have nothing but beef jerky, you know, and, and moldy bread. You know, that's what I eat when, you know, I'm backpacking and stuff. That's what you get. And so they think, oh, you're going to take us out here to die. And so God provides manna in the morning. He goes, okay, okay. Um, I got this. No worries. You know, all this beautiful manna will just float down from heaven. And in the morning, they gather it up, and it's supposed to be really yummy. I kind of look at it as being a uh, like a big old cinnamon roll or something like that, you know. But it was supposed to, it, they said it tasted like honey. So, you know, if you want to say it was like a biscuit with, you know, butter and honey on it, that would be pretty good, too. But, yeah, okay, now that we're all hungry. um, But that's the way it was. I mean, it was supposed to be really, really yummy. Of course, after 40 years, was it really yummy? I don't know. But they ate that for 40 years. And so they continue their troubles. We're going to pick the story up at Exodus 17.1. And at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin. And, and that's not sin as in a bad place. This was an actual town called sin or desert called sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they 
camped at, and I'm going to butcher these names, so I apologize, Rephidim. Rephidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. And what did they do? Did they go, oh, look, God's going to take care of us. No, what did they do? (laughs) So the people, once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Now, I'm a little sympathetic to what it was like to be thirsty and in the desert. Um, I hear that it could be all-consuming, and I got a little touch of this one time when Jeff and I, we've, we've hiked the Sierras, backpacked the Sierras um, for like 30, almost 40 years now. And once we ran out of water, we were expecting a creek, and it wasn't there. It had dried up. And so we were going to stop at this creek. Well, not having water, we're going, okay, what do we do? Well, we go to the next source and hope there's water there. Thankfully, it was a lake. And I'm thinking, you know, if a lake dries up in the Sierras, then we're really in trouble. We need to hike back down. But it was very miserable not having water. Back then, the water was so clean, you could just dip your cup in the creek and drink it right out. Oh, and it just tasted so good. And so we couldn't wait. We were hot and tired, and we couldn't wait for this creek. Well, it wasn't there. So I'm a little sympathetic to what they might have been feeling because it's so consuming. I'm so thirsty. I have to have a drink of water. And so they complained, and Moses replied, Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? Because if he said, he's, he's taking care of you so far. Why, why are you being um, such knuckleheads? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock. The water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. And everybody's happy again. So why, why am I trying to press this point? Um, we would not do any better. We really wouldn't. I know I probably would not. And um, how many times has the Lord delivered us and then we are confronted with another difficulty and we throw up our hands and go, all is lost. Lord, what are you doing? You're going to kill me here. I'm just going to die. And so um, many times throughout the Old Testament when God has done something great or miraculous, he has asked them to place like memory stones or make some kind of uh, sign or something to remind the Israelites that God did something great here. And that's not such a bad idea for us, is it? Whenever you feel like you're overwhelmed and you can't handle what's going on in your life, remember the good times when God has delivered you out of something much tougher you know, and if not, then just understand that, you know, this is just the Lord testing you more. But he always takes care of you. He will never, ever give you more than you can handle. Remember that promise. It's one that was given to us. And so God will never take you to the point where you will break. 
I mean, there have been times when I go, Lord, I'm breaking here. You know, I'm just going to snap if something doesn't happen. But God has always gotten me through, you know, to that point where you think you're going to break, but you never do. And God knows it because he knows you. He created you. He knows exactly what you can and cannot take. So keep that in mind. But, um, and then we need these reminders because, you know, it does get overwhelming, you know, and we forget what God does, and we grumble. Lord, the husband you gave me. Lord, the kids you gave me. Lord, the boss you gave me. These guys are horrible. You just don't understand. And I hear that. Oh, you just don't understand how bad it is. You know, you don't understand why I want to harbor this bitterness and unforgiveness. You don't understand what I went through. No, perhaps not, but God does. And he says, forgive, don't grumble. And so our human nature, of course, is never satisfied. We always want to grumble, don't we? When we're unhappy, we want to make sure that God knows it and everybody else around us knows it. (laughs) Poor Jeff. He always knows when I'm unhappy. (laughs) He's so patient with me. (laughs) But God says that he will take care of us. What's that? (laughs) You two being... I'm watching... So anyway, um, God, Jesus, when um, somebody asked and was concerned about you know their circumstances, I love this. He says, "Consider the lilies of the field." You know, God takes care of. You know, the the lilies are beautiful. God takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the little animals, the little birds. He says, how much more am I going to take care of you? So don't fret. I've got this. i got this. I'm just testing to see if you're going to trust me or not. And God says we must be content with what God gives us. And that's exactly what the Israels were not doing. They weren't content with what, the, what God gave them. And then they didn't want to trust that God could deliver them. And so they were complain, complain, complain. So... Um, Then we go into part two, as I call it, of God's provision in the wilderness. And we're going to pick up on verse 8. Sorry, I didn't put the chapter on there. But it says, while the people of Israel were still at, oh gosh, I tried this one, Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill holding the staff staff of God in my hands. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. As long as Moses held the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, remember they're fighting. So he's like this. Have you ever tried to do that for hours on end while all this battling is going on? I mean, of course, you guys haven't done that exactly. But, you know, have you, it's kind of like, okay, um, when you, you have a crying baby, you know. Those of you moms, your arms have gotten used to it. But um, if you have, if you are just filling in and taking care of a baby and you're not used to uh, having to hold a baby in your arm that's been crying a lot and you're pacing, you get tired pretty soon. This arm really gets tired. And then you switch him to this arm. And then you switch him to this arm. Well, can you imagine holding a staff up for hours on end? And so he started to get tired. And so her and Aaron, they stood beside him. 
and they helped him, you know, up. They helped his arms to stay up so he could hold that staff up. And as long as the staff was up, Joshua was winning the battle. When Moses got tired and that staff started to come down, Joshua started to lose the battle. And so on they fought, and then Moses, I mean, then her and Aaron, they helped Moses. And because he was able to keep the staff up, they originally won the war. That's basically what was going on. But I'm very happy that the uh, the Israelites did. It doesn't say anything about the Israelites going, all is lost when they saw the army come up behind them. They finally looked like they finally got a little bit of it, um, the idea that God is taking care of them. But we do see that uh, two of Moses' right-hand men helped him out. And that's just a wonderful story of of how difficult it can be for those that are greatly used of the Lord. They're not invincible. They really aren't. And sometimes they need people to come alongside of them and help them. You know, a pastor is very similar to the same way. I know Jeff wouldn't be able to survive without some of the the great guys around that keep his arms lifted up so that he can continue. You know, and it's obviously not to hold a staff up, but it could be, you know, holding them up in prayer and saying, coming alongside saying, how can I help? And so it really does uh, show us a perfect example of what we're to do in times of trouble, you know. It could also be just any one of us that's going through a difficult time and you're ready to fall down. That's when we come alongside of each other and hold each other up. Isn't that the best time? Instead of uh, grumbling against them, holding their arms up, you know, when they're going through difficult times. And so um, until they have that victory, you know, we need to be praying for them, comforting them, ministering to them with scripture, encouraging them. And so that is how we can lift them up to keep them from falling down. And so the last part of our study, God's glory on the mountain. Um, when we understand fully God's glory, we understand his love, care, and provision for us. We really do. Um, God is not some ethereal being, you know, that's floating around or like a genie in a bottle where you can command him to do things. Remember, he always has your best interest in mind. So when he doesn't answer a prayer, it's because there's something else he has in mind. Usually something, yeah, not usually, always something much better. And so, you know, we can pray. I mean, I, I know this sounds silly, but, you know, you can pray all day that you have a, a, a million-dollar mansion. Well, God says, no, you don't want a million-dollar mansion. Trust me, I know you. So we could say, oh, well, well God won't give me my million-dollar mansion. You know, you know, doesn't God love me? Well, of course he does. That's why he's not giving it to you. You know, think about all the housework you would have, you know, <laughs> because you didn't pray for servants. So anyway, <laughs> just kidding. So, but you see what I mean? Sometimes we ask for the lamest things. So remember, his provision, though, is always coupled with obedience. We cannot expect God to bless, provide, and give peace in our lives if we are not in accordance with God's will. So if you're doing something that you know God is telling you not to do, then you know what? You've stepped outside. I kind of look at it as we have this dome around us. And as long as we are doing God's will, as long as you know we're doing what the Bible says and we're, and we're, we're doing what God commands, and usually, I mean, what's his greatest command? Loving others. You know, it seems like everything else is minor. But as long as we stay within that dome, we're safe. You know, God can bless God can take care of us. But you know what? Once we get outside of that dome, you know, he's going, don't go out there because then I can't protect you. 
because you're doing your own thing. You're sinning. You're ruining that connection that I have with you. And so God can't protect you then. So that's a very strong warning there. So you be careful of that. And so Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 6.15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but of grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? In other words, if you are letting sin rule and reign in your life, you are a slave to that. It says, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So being obedient to God. And, you know, it's not like he's this, you know, great schoolmaster that's going to hit you with a switch or something. You know, don't get that in mind. But he commands us. He teaches us. He gives us these rules, regulations, whatever you want to call it, so that we don't get ourselves into trouble. What happens when we, we sin against him? Let's say that you want to sleep around and God says, don't do it. Well, what happens? I mean, does anything really good come of that? You know, you could get pregnant. You could get um, diseases, all sorts of things. That's why God's saying, don't do it. Not because he wants to ruin your fun. You know, that's what we used to, I used to think, you know. Oh, being a Christian is going to be so boring, you know. <laughs> no, no, that's not it at all. I've had more adventures walking with the Lord than ever before. You know, before it was just, you know, just one trouble after another. You know, but God sets these rules to protect us. Even though sometimes we might not appreciate that, that's what he does it for. He says, don't do it because he's trying to protect you. Um, When our lives fall in line with what God wants, we have his peace and we have his blessings. Um, Romans 4.13 says, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Of course, if we have a right relationship with God, we are going to obey his laws. But we've got to have that, uh, that right relationship with him first. And it really boils down to just having faith in that God knows best for you. And so I believe that he can handle any situation that comes my way. You know, I've been through enough trials and tribulations now that I know that no matter what, God will take care of it. And sometimes a little hard-headed, and at first I don't acknowledge that, but then the Lord ministers to my heart and says, I got this, trust me. And I go, okay, I can sleep now. (laughs) So, you know, I'll stay up for hours fretting over things, you know, just it's just one thing after another. It's just like a freight train, you know, going through my head. And so I'm not sleeping. And so remind yourself of a time that God has delivered you during those difficult times. And it will help you through the next difficult time. And we need to trust him. Um, interesting. I seem to be losing my last page. Never. Right. There it is. So how can we learn to trust him more? You know what? Learning about him. I kind of think of it as, would you trust somebody you just met on the street? So God does not expect you to trust him the day you meet him. You know, he can do a lot. I mean, he can transform your life that first day. But you know what? He understands that you need to be taught more about him before you fully Put your trust and your faith in him. He understands that. That's why he encourages you. That's why he he sent you this. 
your Bible. So that this is, what I've heard this said, this is God's love letter to you. This is everything you want to know about God is in this book. And so the way you trust him, the way that you can have faith in him is by learning about him. And that is learning through his word. For faith comes by hearing or reading because they didn't have Bibles back then. And hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17 tells us. So that's, that's the key, is getting to know him through reading his word, through praying and listening to that still, small voice. It's so important because that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. If you feel like you want to grumble, listen to it. You know what? There have been times when I wanted to just blurt out something, and I, there was this little voice saying, don't say that, okay? Oh, but I want to. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really want to. And, you know, trust me, you don't want to say it, you know, because, you know, it could be perceived as grumbling or gossip or something like that. And so he will tell me, and it's usually this little quiet voice. And I can choose at that point whether to listen to him or, or just blurt it out and then have the regrets later. And so, you know, when you feel like you're being, you know, oppressed, you know, by whatever. I mean, it could be anything, you know. You could feel like the enemy of our souls is oppressing you. And, of course, he probably is because that's what he does. You know, that's, that's his only goal. But always remember that God's got your back. And that's what I loved about some of these stories in here. God has your back. He has your six. He has your six. You know, if you want to do the, the military terms. And so... Um, never forget that. Never lose heart of that because it's what gets us through all those difficult times. And we've seen this over and over with the children of Israel. I don't want to be like them, thinking that every time something goes wrong, I throw up my hands and go, all is lost. Oh, no, what am I going to do? I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that way. You know, And I have been that way in the past. We're all... We're all prone to be that way. But I heard this great acronym. It's called STOP. If you feel like you want to start, you know, getting in your pity party, um, it, it's, the acronym is STOP. So where is it? I thought I had it in here because I can't hardly remember anything. You know, I've gotten old, so, you know, my memory's gone. <clears throat> okay, STOP. Number one, surrender it to the Lord. T. Talk to the Lord about it. Pray. O, obey what God tells you to do. Obey. Oh, I hate that word, obey. It's the O word. P, praise the Lord regardless. Regardless. No matter what. Even though you don't agree with what God is telling you, if God has said, pardon me? T was talk. Talk to the Lord. So, surrender, talk, Obey, praise. So if you do those, you will be okay. So it doesn't, what does it not say? And I came up with this acronym. It's bad, okay? And this is, this is for me. Okay, bad. Blow it out of proportion. <laughs> okay, Lord, okay. You know, I'm, I'm like, miss blow it out of proportion. I really am. A, oh, isn't it? You know, I, I think, does anybody else blow things out of proportion? Ah, let me see. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, a, acquire converts to your cause. That, that's the A in bad. Then divide and cause dissension. 
bad. You know what? That's what we have a tendency to do. And I think I kind of picture that's what the Israelites were doing. You know, they would grumble. They would get the rest of their friends grumbling. And pretty soon, everybody's grumbling about, the Lord sent us out here to die. Poor Moses. It's like, I can't even imagine what he must have gone through with all these grumblers because they were yelling at him. They were yelling at him, and then he would go, Lord, what do I do with these people? They're driving me crazy. Okay, A and D. We got, okay, bad, B-A-D. Blow it out of proportion, acquire converts, and divide and cause dissension. That's my acronym for what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and I'm, you know... I'm just preaching to myself here, you know, because this is what I do. We all do it. I think it's our human nature to want to do that. If we feel bad, we want everybody to join our club, don't we? Yeah. Like, don't you feel sorry for me? Look what God's doing. Oh, you poor Connie. Poor Connie. <laughs> oh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we don't want to be grumblers. And I ask that... Uh, you know, you start with me, Lord. Convict me of any grumbling that I may be doing. And, and uh, Father, I don't want to be that acronym for bad. And so I just ask that each one of us just searches our heart. And, you know, if there's any wicked way in us, as, as David says, that uh, you just cleanse us from that. Lord, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But you do. You know my heart. You know each one of the ladies in here, their hearts and what they're going through. And I just love the fact that you are just so patient and loving and kind. And you didn't come down hard on the Israelites, Lord. You just kept delivering them time and time again, even though they just didn't appreciate it. So, Father, I want to be appreciative of those times that you have delivered me. Remind me of all those times so that I can rely on them. Uh, when I'm going through difficult times again. And so I thank you, Lord. I praise you for um, just your love that you have for us. And as we divide up in our groups, Lord, I ask that uh, we just dive into this deeper, that we're able to truly apply it to our lives. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.